What is going on, my friends? Welcome back to Ride on the Pine. Great to get you back all here on the bench with me today. I've got another baseball-filled show touching on the dominance of one particular player in the MLB, but I'm not going to say too much right now, so let's take a little look back at the last show. I got into discussing the topic of the numerous no-hitters that the MLB has seen so far this season and whether or not I think the no-hitters are helping or hurting the game of baseball. And then later I was joined by another minor leaguer who has also been going through some adjustments with new rules in the minors, current minor leaguer for the Chicago Cubs, Matt Mervis. Matt and I discussed his experience being drafted by his hometown team, the Washington Nationals, what it was like being a dual threat player in college, focusing on both hitting and pitching, and so much more. So head over to Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcast and check out that show and all 120 episodes that are out now and make sure you are following on all platforms as well. Now for today, I want to get into what the domination of Shohei Otani means for the game and also how he could be changing the game of baseball solely and whether he will usher in a new wave of players with the ability to hit and to pitch. I'll then be joined by a current college basketball player who just wrapped up his freshman year in the A-10, current basketball player for the Duquesne men's basketball team, Toby Okani. Toby and I will discuss his transition to the college game, what the deciding factor was on why he wanted to come to Duquesne, and so much more. So stay right here with me, folks. This is an episode you won't want to miss out on. So with that, let's make our way into our show for today. So as always, be sure to find your favorite seat here on the bench with me. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And welcome back to Ride on the Pine. Good to have you all back here with me today. I've officially gotten the keys to my new place, so I'm super excited to get settled in. I have some time before I need to be out of my current apartment, so it won't be such a rushful move. But with the new spot, that means there will be new content for RTP. So that's what I am really excited about. I'm also just excited to have a new place to be able to move around in my place right now. It's pretty small, so I'll be moving to a bigger place. So that will be really, really good. But anyways, folks, I want to get into this topic today about the sheer domination of Shohei Otani and just what it means for the game and what it could mean really for the game moving forward and how he might be actually kind of weirdly enough paving the way for other baseball players like him that are dual threat players that can both hit and pitch to come into the league and dominate themselves so let's get into this conversation Otani really has I think prior to this year he was obviously a big deal he was a big topic I mean he came over from one of the top Japanese leagues he dominated when he was over there both pitching and hitting came over to the MLB people were a little bit questionable on whether or not that would translate over to the MLB, but it clearly did. He did battle some injuries early on, but now that he's fully healthy, now that he is 100%, he is dominating both sides of the field. That's what's even more wild, is that he's doing it both on the mound and at the plate. Right now, and again, this is as of recording on June 4th, he currently sits in fifth place in the MLB in home runs with 15. He also has a 2.7 ERA, 50 Ks, and 36 and a third innings pitched. So just let that sink in for a second, right? The guy's got 15 homers while a sub three ERA and 50 strikeouts. You don't hear that. You literally don't. I mean, if somebody were to come up to me and say, oh, I've heard about that before, I would want hardcore 
evidence about that because I have never in my entire life, and I don't think many other people have ever heard of something like this before, where we see a guy who can both pitch and hit at a very, very high rate. And also his metric numbers are insane. His weighted runs created plus is a 154. And for anyone that's wondering what that is, it basically is a stat that accounts for outside external forces when you're playing. So for example, going to a hitter friendly ballpark, if you play really, really well, say at a place like Coors Field, well, then your WRC plus will probably be a little bit lower because it is a hitter friendly ballpark. Same thing with Great American Ballpark where the Cincinnati Reds play. Now, if you play really well at a pitcher friendly ballpark, that's when the WRC plus is going to go up and the average is at 100. So he's 50% above that average. He is that good. And not to mention his ERA plus, which is the same thing just flipped for pitchers, is at a 163. So he's at least 50% above average in those metric stats in both pitching and hitting in the MLB this year. That is unbelievable. And at one point this year, this is something I've read and I was absolutely blown away with this. There was a game he started and he struck out 10 through seven innings. Then he gets taken out of the game and they go put him in right field. Where in the world have we ever seen a guy that just went seven strong, struck out 10, not five, not three, struck out 10 batters. And then he goes and plays in the outfield. You never see that. It's unexplainable, in my opinion. I mean, the guy is a force all around the field. And I think that this is a, I don't think, I know this is a generational talent. We have never seen this before. And this is a once in a lifetime type of individual. I mean, you really do not see somebody that comes into the game of baseball like this and has an impact this great. And there are many people that have been able to somewhat compare his dual threat ability to players like Babe Ruth. And that is what's so wild is that we have now found a baseball player who is being compared to Babe Ruth in the sense of both pitching and hitting. Because for anybody that may or may not know, Babe Ruth was both a pitcher and a hitter in the beginning stages of his career. When he was first with the Red Sox, he actually did quite a bit of pitching and he was a very good pitcher. So a lot of people have started to kind of give that comparison of Otani and Ruth. They're both players that, again, very, very long separated from each other. I mean, one played over 100 years ago and the one is playing right now today in present day. But the similarities are right there. They're very, very present. You see a guy that's able to do it both on the mound and at the plate. And it's not even just his general statistical numbers, right? Not just the ERA, not just the hitting, not the home runs, but what he just does in general. I mean, the like I said, the metric numbers, how hard he's hitting balls, how fast of a runner he is. He's just this all around incredible athlete that can literally do it all. I mean, it's kind of like, and this is going to sound weird, but it's almost like if Mike Trout was able to pitch also, right? I mean, when Mike Trout came into the MLB, there was all this hype about him and rightfully so. I mean, the guy has been, in my opinion, the best player in baseball the last at least 10 years, probably even 20 and probably even 30, not only just general statistical numbers like home runs and hitting average and RBIs, but also all the other statistics that have come about in the recent memory. Otani is kind of not too dissimilar, right? I mean, the guy is really fast. He's big. He's strong. He hits the ball hard. He's got one of the best barrel rates in all of the MLB. He's actually one of five players. Okay, this is what's really wild. He's one of five players since StatCast started covering sports and started covering the MLB to this length in 2015. He's one of five guys to ever hit a ball 119 miles an hour. One of five players. And the other guys on that list are guys like Nelson Cruz, you know, guys that are actually really known for that powerful hitting ability that they've got. And he's been so good that in four of the seven starts that he's had this year, 
It's forced Joe Madden to not only put him in on the mound, but also force him to put him into the lineup. He's batted second in the lineup in four of those seven starts this year. Okay, the Angels have had to forfeit at times the designated hitter position when they're playing in the AL, and that's something that has not been done since 1976. That's how good he is. A team is taking away the DH in the AL, mind you, not in the NL, not in the league where everybody wants the DH. In the league where the DH already exists, there's a team that is deciding to not use it because there's a player that is that good. That's incredible to think about. Incredible to think about. And what he's doing in general, not just the ability on the field, it's the other stuff that he's bringing with him. It's this almost presence that he has, right? It's almost this larger than life individual. And what I mean by that is this, what he's doing to baseball is revolutionary. He is basically rewriting what we've all been kind of told in the past of, if you're a pitcher, you're not going to be a good hitter. That's just not going to be a thing. You are not going to do well hitting wise. He is completely rewriting those rules as we speak. And we've seen over the last 10, 15, 20 years, various athletes throughout time come about into their respective sports and they pretty much revolutionize that respective sport. So for example, Steph Curry, he's somebody that I think has completely revolutionized basketball. Basketball will never be the same after Steph Curry because he has implemented this style and this idea of just constant three-point shooting, but such a high efficiency of it and in such a large dose that it's almost like if you've got the weapons and you've got the team to do that, you're going to do that. And he's basically changed how basketball in a lot of ways is played in some sense. Same thing with Patrick Mahomes. Now we start to see football not as much of a ground and pound game, more of a all-out air assault and running the score up to 50-plus points because guys like Patrick Mahomes are that good. They're able to do that. Now we see a guy in baseball like Otani who is saying, hey, I can do both. I can hit and I can pitch. And it's now giving younger players an idea in their head, hey, I can go and make a career out of baseball and I can hit, I can field, I can pitch, I can do it all because there's a player that is doing it right now and he's being really good at it. He is excelling at it, if you will. And I think that this is going to be a massive change to baseball in the long run. I really do. I think in some senses, if you start to see a massive wave of dual threat players, so guys that can pitch and can hit, you're going to start seeing teams go away from the DH. This whole conversation that we've been having the last year, two years, whatever it's been about universal DH, it might vanish. It might evaporate into thin air because people will say, well, what's the point of that? We've got a pitcher that is really good at hitting. We need him in our five hole. We need him in the six hole of the lineup, whatever it might be. So we could start to see not only managers changing their lineups, but we could also start to see pitchers take hitting a little bit more seriously. I mean, how many times have you gone to a game and let's say you get there really early. I mean, growing up, I always loved getting there early because watching BP is a pretty unbelievable thing to watch. I mean, it's magnificent. If you will, you've got guys that are huge human beings that are absolutely just punishing baseballs all the way out and of the upper deck. And again, I know that it is batting practice, but it's awesome to watch what they're capable of doing. And when you start to see the pitchers come up for batting practice, it's very apparent. They're not taking it seriously. A lot of the time, some guys aren't even taking BP swings because it's like, I don't want to get injured. I don't want to get hurt. There might be some clauses in some guys' contracts that say, we don't want you doing any batting practice because if so, it's going to really affect you in your contract. You might start seeing now 
again, a wave and an influx of players and especially pitchers taking the hitting and the art of hitting so much more seriously because now it could become a valuable thing. I mean, lineups could definitely change. Managers could definitely have a little bit of an interesting situation on their hands on what they can and cannot do now, because if you think about it, it's almost like in the NFL, if you were to have a player that was incredible offensively, so let's say a really good running back, and then you put him out there on defense and he was your middle linebacker. I mean, that's essentially what this is, right? I mean, that is an incredible thing to think about. And again, like I mentioned, he has battled injuries in the past. So the caveat to this and the other side of it is, is this a durable way of playing baseball? Is this a way of playing that is going to increase longevity into a player's career? Or is this going to actually hinder somebody's career and they wind up having their career cut short because they were pretty much just constantly overused? Their arms were bothered, their elbows, their shoulders, whatever else it might have been, their lower body, their upper body. Being out there constantly, right, and just going up and taking an at-bat and then you go out onto the mound and then you pitch a 20-pitch inning or whatever, a 15-pitch inning, that adds up over time, right? That adds up over a, a long period of time, especially over a season. So there is that caveat. Is this a durable way of playing? Could he continue to have injury problems down the road? That is a big question mark. That is definitely a big question mark as to whether or not this could be something that really has a lasting effect on the player's health and his physical health, and especially. But nonetheless, okay, I think that this is something that it's almost foolish for managers and players and just people in general to not accept this idea of, Hey, there's this guy that can pitch and he can hit. I mean, why would you not want to have that? And if he's really good at that, it's again, why would you not want to have that on your team? If you have it and it's presented to you in this incredible player and this player that's again, transcendent and he's revolutionizing the game of whatever it might be, baseball, basketball, football. Why would you not want to have that on your team? So I think that in the long term, and maybe it doesn't happen in the next two or three years, but maybe in the next five, six, seven years, we start to see players like Shohei Otani start to pop up more frequently. And we start to see guys coming out of college playing both pitching and hitting. I mean, for example, right? I just had Matt Mervis on my show, Chicago Cubs minor leaguer, back on Friday. And he and I were talking about his ability as a dual threat player. That's a perfect example. Somebody that can both hit and pitch. It makes it almost more intriguing for a team to take somebody like that because it's so unique and it's so extraordinary, if you will. You don't really see that a whole lot. So this is rewriting the way we look at pitchers, especially on the hitting side of things. It's rewriting the way baseball could be managed and really played. And it could be rewriting the way we look at baseball in general, because now we won't have to worry about the DH. Now we won't have to worry about one league having the DH and the other one not having it. With the influx of potential pitchers and hitters being able to do both, you might not have to deal with the DH anymore. So it's going to do a multitude of things, I think, in the long run. I'm excited to see where Otani's career takes him and how much damage he can really do in the MLB. I think that he is going to become one of the best players that we've ever seen in this modern era when it's all said and done. I mean, the guy's 26, 27. He's got plenty of years ahead of him. But again, the durability, the longevity, that wear and tear on his body, that will be the one question mark I have about it. And he just needs to stay healthy. He needs to take care of himself and he needs to make sure that he can stay 100% healthy and he could really put up, I think, historic numbers. But folks, it is now that time 
We are going to have a wonderful guest join me here momentarily as I'll be speaking with a current Division I basketball player who had to deal with the issues of the pandemic this past year with numerous cancellations and postponements and all the sort. So ladies and gents, allow me to introduce to you all the one and only, the talented Mr. Toby O'Connor. And I'm here with current Duquesne men's basketball player, Toby Okani. Toby, great to get you on the show today, my friend. How's it going? Everything's going well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad you could take a couple minutes to chat and whatnot. How's things been after the season? I mean, what's kind of been the postseason workouts and schedule and everything else? I mean, what are you guys kind of getting geared up for for this summer? Um, This summer, actually, after the offseason, we made a lot of changes. Um, We have a lot of new guys coming in. Uh. I think our focus next year is definitely going to be defensively and just scoring um, without having to think more. Uh, for the most part, our offseason has been more of a conditioning based because our conditioning was uh, questionable last year. And I think that's exactly what we're um, focusing on this summer session, too. Yeah, I'm sure the conditioning must have been really out of whack, especially, I mean, most of you probably did not have much access to getting in a gym or a court or whatever coming out of the pandemic. I'm sure that was very hard, but I want to dive in your career a little bit and kind of get into who you are and whatnot and how you got to Duquesne. You initially out of high school received a lot of different division one offers, but I'm curious, what made you decide to come to Duquesne? Um, at first, Duquesne was the first school I, uh, I took my official to and I actually visited um, it's just having Coach Keith Danbrock just like he believed in me since like day one since he saw me at camp with Jet like I actually got the offer from and with Jet one summer and after that it's just it's just blossomed because I I had a relationship with the coaching staff with Ashton Gibbs there um, growing up in Jersey like he was. He was like a superstar, and like I, I looked up to him as a younger kid growing up, and just learning from both of them, and the other coaching staff also just helped me. So it was just an easy decision to make. Well, that's great that you were able to feel very comfortable immediately coming to Duquesne. And I've had Ashton Gibbs on my show many times. He's a great guy. And I think that's awesome that you already had that relationship with him prior to coming to Duquesne. But what was that initial transition like for you when you first arrived on campus before the season started and you were kind of getting into the groove of workouts and getting ready for the season and kind of the preseason stuff? What was that transition and adjustment like for you initially? Uh, For the most part, the transition wasn't as big because um. I prepared more for the college lifestyle during my prep school year because uh, my prep school, Cushion Academy, like that we prepared um, for college workouts, waking up at 6 a.m. every single day, having to do conditioning, stuff like that. So it wasn't really that much of a transition. It was just like getting to the groove of it, picking up things faster so I wouldn't be a step behind. Yeah, prep school, I have found, is such a wonderful thing for a lot of people. Is that something that you would recommend to other players that are thinking about going to a higher level or wanting to expand their game in some capacity? Is that something you would suggest for others? I definitely would suggest that because for me, coming out of like 2019, I could have easily, easily went into college, but I knew mentally I wasn't ready to, uh, to play yet. So like that, that year that I had for prep school just mentally prepared me. 
Yeah, that prep year, I've I've got a lot of other friends that have used that prep year and have really utilized it, and it's really worked out well for them. So I think that's such a wonderful thing for people that are kind of undecided on where they want to go to school and whatnot. You take that prep year, and it can really catapult you into a really great position. Now, this year for you, you started out not playing a whole lot, but then all of a sudden, about the third or fourth game into the season, your minutes just skyrocketed. What were you focusing on during the first few weeks you weren't playing much that you feel really helped you push you into a more playing time on this on the team um for the most part i was really frustrated when i wasn't playing a lot uh but like ashton and the coaches always just said stay the course just do what you do that everything's going to work out and that's that's exactly what uh i did i just stayed to course because like it's nothing i hadn't seen before like i wasn't a i wasn't a, like a highly rated recruit coming out of high school like i had to work for everything i had so so i just had to get back into that mindset that nothing is old yeah, I know that's a very probably challenging thing when you first arrive on campus, the season starts, and you're not playing a whole lot, but then you really were able to work yourself into it because, you know, first two games you weren't playing much, but then all of a sudden you really got a lot of time as the season wound up continuing on. You all of a sudden were starting, so that's a big a testament to you and your work ethic. But this year you guys had a lot of periods of time where you had some games canceled because of COVID or postponed or whatever, and, and there was different waves of it coming. You know, there was a period of time where you had a couple games canceled and then a couple games canceled canceled here what was that like having to deal with this uncertainty constantly of whether or not you all are going to play in this constant on and off of the court kind of pausing if you will yeah it was very frustrating because for the most part i think we we're getting in a groove for most of our like pauses and then it just snapped like now we're back to practicing with like three players at a time like it just it just messed up our psyche because for the most part we get in the groove and then, all right, we have to stop for two weeks. Now, now we're just practicing with ourselves. It helps for the most part, but it, it hurt us also. What was kind of the protocol when, let's say, you guys were on the road and you had a game that was canceled? What was kind of the next steps you would all have to follow when you would find out that game was canceled or postponed? Um, actually, I think that was the St. Louis game that happened. So, uh, we. We got to the hotel, we got there, and then the day we were supposed to play, they said, like, they've gotten COVID, so we have to stop. And we have to just fly back and just wait for to hear back from, like, the AD and stuff like that. Everyone has to get tested. Uh, then then we just go from there because it was just constant testing and just seeing if someone, like, tested positive or not. Yeah, that had to have been such an unsettling feeling, constantly wondering if maybe it's you that has it or somebody else on the team that has it, and then all of a sudden that fear kind of grows into, well, who's going to get it next, and then when can we play? So I'm sure there was a lot of things going on this season for you all, but during this year, I'm sure you saw a lot of improvement, a lot of growth in your game. Where did you see your biggest jump in your game and development and improvement over the course of the season? Um, I, I think uh, it was defensively because... Because for the most part, I came in a defensive player, and knowing that I'm always going to be guarding the best player. But like as as I've grown since like the first few games, I started playing, playing the experienced senior guards on other teams. Like I've learned that I didn't have to do certain things to. I just have to contain them because the best player is always going to probably get his average. You just have to slow him down. Who were some of the toughest players you guarded this year in the A-10? Uh, probably uh, 
probably Kyle Lofton, Fats Russell. Uh, a battle from George Washington. Yeah, that I think those are the top three right there. Yeah, I noticed this year the A10 was loaded with a lot of talent. There was a lot of really, really good players. So that was probably a great thing for you being able to getting exposed to guarding those types of players early on in your career. Now, I know you had briefly mentioned earlier on that your team is going to be working on defense a lot this summer and and in the offseason. What are some other things that you think you and your teammates are going to really focus in on this upcoming summertime and whatnot during the workouts? Uh, Me individually, uh, are you asking? Yeah, you individually and you and your teammates as well, kind of a combination of both. Uh, um, me individually, I'm I'm solely locked and I'm just like since we have a new team, just getting everyone up to see uh, up to speed and just playing at my own pace. Last year I had I had times where I didn't play at my own pace and I let the game speed me up. It's just me just me playing my game and being a playmaker and just hitting shots when I need to. Um, for us individually, all we have to do is just contain and just hit open shots. That's we struggled last year because of the ins and outs and the pauses of just hitting shots consistently. And then I think that that's exactly what we're going to focus on this this summer. What is kind of the schedule like for your summer this year? I mean, is it going to be kind of a back to normal, if you will, summer workouts? Uh, yeah. Uh, I believe so because I haven't had a regular summer workout, but, um, I think that like it's back to normal. I think we're back early June in a few weeks, two weeks or so. Well, that's a great sign that you guys are going to be able to get back on the court and not to mention, I'm sure you're all going to be very happy. You hopefully, hopefully won't have as many pauses this upcoming year as you did this year. Cause you and everybody else, I'm sure really felt this pandemic and what it was doing and whatnot. So a big hat off to you guys for being able to stick true and stay strong with it. But Toby, you've been great to get on the show today, my friend. I got one last question before I let you run. And I want to hear from you kind of, when did it really kick in for you? And when did you have that moment where you realized that you could really take your abilities to the D one level and that you could carry out becoming a division one basketball player? When did that kind of set in for you? Um, I think that set up for me like early my junior year because I grew to um I grew I grew to six six and my athleticism went up and my shot making went up. That's when I was at public school and I just knew that that like I just needed someone to take a chance on me. Like or I'm just gonna make someone take a chance on me because I just felt that I had all the tools and I saw everyone else making it and doing what they had to do. But I understood that, like, everyone, everyone's not the same. There's bloomers. So that, that's when I knew I, I can definitely play that at the division one level. Well, my friend, you've been off to a great start in your career, and I know that you're going to continue on to have a lot of success. Good luck moving forward. Actually, before I let you run, i got to ask, since we are in the NBA playoffs, can I get a little NBA Finals prediction? Who do you have going, and who do you have winning it all? Um... Uh, I definitely have the, I definitely have the Nets in the finals. Uh, and I have probably the Nuggets, probably the Nuggets and the, uh, the Nets are going to win it all. Nuggets Nets you heard it here first folks from Toby O'Connor it's going to be an interesting finals if that does shake out and if so I mean that's something that we have not seen in really ever probably but Toby as always really appreciate you getting on the show today good luck my friend moving forward and we'll talk very soon for sure thank you thanks thanks for having me 
And there he goes, Toby Okani. Another awesome episode today, everyone. Thanks for joining me here on the bench. Be sure to keep following and subscribing to Ride in the Pine on Apple and Spotify. And keep following on Twitter at RideThePine20, RTP, all capital. And Instagram at Riding underscore the underscore pine underscore. For all the latest updates on episodes and content to come, all 121 episodes are out now. And like I mentioned, folks, earlier on in the episode, a lot of really good content coming down the road. So be sure to keep your eyes and ears open for that. Keep leaving those reviews and remarks and any sort of other ratings that you want let me know what you think of the show and more importantly if you've got a topic that you want heard on the show let me know and i'd be very happy to talk about it but once again everyone thanks so much for tuning in today and until next time on riding the pine keep on sitting the bench with me